May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. At our uh, 9 o'clock service, I was, had the privilege of baptizing little Hadley Linneman, Phil and Kim Linneman's daughter, um, granddaughter of John and Cheryl. Uh, Lauer, and that was a great occasion. I'm looking forward to the time when we can all be together again and celebrate that properly as a community. Um, so let's continue to pray about that. You know, it's connected to the property issue, and and uh, so we just want to pray that God's will would be done with regard to our property and our ability to expand and and bring everybody together. There are some Sundays uh, at the nine o'clock service now where we have almost 30 kids. From nursery through uh, high school. So, you know, over the last five years or so, God has been entrusting us with raising children in this parish. And what I want to do today is just take that uh, letter that Paul writes to Timothy, a portion of the second letter to Timothy, and kind of think about this as a prayer for our children or our grandchildren. And I mean in your own family, but also in this family of faith. What should we be praying for to happen in the lives of our children and grandchildren, in our families and in this family of faith? And it may be, you know, a a lot of you have grown children. We can still pray these things for our grown children as well. You have grandchildren coming up. And we have these children within our parish. And I just want to look at this portion of uh, 2 Timothy for sort of some cues that can help us in our prayer and our thinking about these children and about the next generation. Paul calls, in verse 2, Paul calls Timothy, my beloved child. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. And he had a close relationship with Timothy. In fact, it says in verse 4, I remember your tears. So that might, that might be about the last time he saw Timothy and the parting was sorrowful because Paul was headed to Jerusalem and he knew he was going to be uh, arrested. There was a prophecy about him being arrested if he goes into Jerusalem. And that's what happened to, Tim, to the Apostle Paul. He was arrested He was put under house arrest by the Roman government and he's writing this letter towards the end of his life and giving sort of final instructions to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. So we can learn from this. And one of the things that comes up very early is that he is thanking God that Timothy has a sincere faith. That the faith of the family that Timothy was raised in is now Timothy's personal faith. And that's what we want to see happening in the lives of our children and our grandchildren. We want the faith of the family to be modeled, to be evident, but we want these children to claim that faith for themselves. And so he says in verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois. Now that's the only time that grandmother is mentioned in the New Testament. But he is celebrating the fact that this grandmother had faith. Timothy saw that faith. 
and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. So if you go to the Acts of the Apostles, where Luke records the history of the early church, you'll see in chapter 20, I believe it is, right at the beginning, where Paul meets Timothy, and it talks about Timothy's mom had a Jewish background, but she had become a believer in Jesus Christ. She had come to faith in the Messiah. Timothy's father, however, was a Greek, and it doesn't say that he was a believer. So Timothy came from this mixed religious heritage, But he claimed the faith of his mother and his grandmother for his own. And that's what we want to see happening in the lives of our children in this parish and in our families. And so moms and dads, grandma and grandpa, uh, aunts and uncle. If there's a child in your family, the next generation, we need to be modeling and not be shy about modeling our faith talking about our faith, sharing our faith, any child that you have an influence over, passing on the faith to the next generation. And we pray that that faith would become their very own. I heard an interview just recently from the director of the new movie out solely about the, the, the airline pilot who saved, the, you know, saved his passengers by, by flying his... Uh, Air, aircraft into the Hudson River and it was a great sort of act of aviation and heroism and there's a movie made about that well the the director of the movie uh, is a Christian and in this interview he was talking about how he was raised in the church and it wasn't until later in life until he got to like a senior year in college that he said this phrase this is what caught my attention because I was thinking about this he said up to that point I had an inherited faith it wasn't my own but his senior year of college at a chapel service, at the very end of his college experience, he was going through some very difficult time. The, the congregation was singing, it is well with my soul. And he said, the words of that hymn gripped his heart, and he stood up at Wheaton College in chapel at the end of it, and he said, that's true. He shouted it out. I know it's true. And at that moment, the inherited faith became his own sincere faith. And that's what we want to happen in the lives of our children and our grandchildren and these children that are being raised in the parish. We want them to know this faith for themselves. And Paul is celebrating that here. And we're going to pray. We need to pray for that to happen in the lives of the next generation. We also want them to understand that God has given them gifts. And God has a calling and a mission on their life. And in verse 6, Paul reminds Timothy of that. He says, look at what he writes. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. The, 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 the flame was burning low. Think of a fireplace. Fan it, Timothy. Stir up the embers, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Through the apostle Paul, God ordained, set apart Timothy to be a pastor and gave him gifts. And that was his calling. Verse 9, Paul writes that God saved us and called us to a holy calling. So God gave the gift of being a pastor to Timothy, and he gave him this calling and had this mission for him, and Timothy was a very important, one of the most important pastors, I guess, in the history of Christianity because he followed the Apostle Paul. That was his calling. 
All of our children have gifts and calling from God. May not be to be a pastor. Most of them that are being raised in this parish will not be priests or missionaries or full-time church workers. Uh, Some of them may be, and that would be wonderful. But most of them probably will not have those gifts and that calling from God. But they all have a gift, and they all have a calling, and they all have a mission that God has given them to work for his glory in whatever station of life he puts them, they can work for God's glory and they can work for the good of other people. And that's what we want them to discern as they grow up. And we want them to realize that. One of the great gifts of the Reformation, the 16th century Protestant Reformation, was this idea, and it changed really the course of history. It was the idea that you don't have to be a priest or a a nun or a monk to have important standing in the kingdom of God. If you do your work, whatever work God has given you to do for his glory and under his command, then you can accomplish great things for the glory of God, even in your humble place. One of the Puritans wrote this. He said, the homeliest service that we do in an honest calling Though it may be only to plow or dig a ditch, if done with obedience and conscience of God's commandment is crowned with ample reward. The humblest calling done in obedience to God's command, conscience of God, is crowned with ample reward. And so we want our children to know no matter what they do in life, they can do it as unto the Lord and connect it to this greater sense of mission. I have been placed here to give glory to God and to do good to other people. And that'll have great uh, meaning and importance in their life. And I think we've all experienced that in different walks of life. We've seen people from different occupations who do their job so well, and they, they do it as a, with a sense of mission and calling, and it makes a great difference in people's lives. Maybe you had a teacher like that or a coach. I did. I had a teacher in the fifth grade, Mrs. Green who pulled me aside and said, I think you've got more potential than what you're displaying. (laughs) And she said, why don't you move your desk next to my desk? (laughs) And that's what I did. My desk sat right in front of Mrs. Green. And then she gave me a reading list, the Mark Twain Awards list. Every book nominated for the Mark Twain Award, I think there was a dozen or so books. She said, do you think you can read this? I'll give it a shot. I read every single one. That gave me a love for reading for the rest of my life. It changed the course of my life because this teacher saw something in me and took the extra step, and she had this sense of mission about the job she was doing. And we want that for all of our children as well, that they would understand that their talents and their gifts are from God, and they can use these gifts for his glory and the good of others. So we can pray that and we can also pray that they would not be ashamed of Jesus. They're growing up in a culture that is increasingly hostile to Orthodox Christianity. Paul says in verse eight, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God. You know, Timothy, it seems, had kind of a shy, diffident sort of temperament um, because Paul says earlier, Timothy, you've got to remember 
God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And Paul was calling Timothy, young Timothy, to be very bold in his preaching and in his proclamation and to confront some difficult things in the congregations. And he knows Timothy's weakness is that he's shy and he's sort of withdrawn. And he says, Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear. Overcome this weakness and do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preach it with boldness. So Timothy had to deal with that weakness in his personality. But also there were pressures from the outside, from the government to silence preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul himself is writing from prison because the government had squashed or trying to stop his ministry. And history tells us, tradition tells us that Paul was actually beheaded under the order of Nero. That's one tradition about Paul. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to keep, keep, uh, keep preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ because I know whom I've believed. And so he's calling Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 13, I want you to remember the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Remember the teaching that I've passed on to you. There are sound words about Jesus and there are unsound words. There are true words about Jesus and there are false words about Jesus. Timothy, be bold for the truth of Jesus Christ. Do not be ashamed of him. This is what we need to pray for, for these kids growing up that are going to be the next generation of Christians, that they will not be ashamed of Jesus and they will not be ashamed of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the sound words, the true teaching of Scripture, because there's going to be all sorts of pressure and it's happening now already. We know to silence them and to be quiet and to not speak the truth about Jesus. There was a, a cardinal, a Roman Catholic cardinal. Maybe he still is the Roman Catholic cardinal of Chicago. I've lost track of him, but Cardinal George of uh, Chicago. And uh, he made a famous statement about six years ago. He was at a gathering of uh, priests, and he was speaking to them, and he said, and maybe you remember this. He said, um, I expect to die in bed. I expect that my successor is going to die in prison. I expect that his successor will die as a public martyr for the faith. And later on, Cardinal George said, he, he said, the point I was trying to make in that speech is I was not claiming to be a prophet, but I was speaking in an overdramatic uh, over fashion about the trend that's happening in our culture towards secularization. And if we get to complete secularization, this could actually happen. It's happened before and it's happening now in other parts of the world. So he said, I was just giving sort of a warning about the direction our society is going, the, 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 the drive to kind of quench the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, the rest of the quote, by the way, that didn't get a lot of, of play, a lot of airtime that Cardinal George said is this, and this is the hopeful note. He said that the successor of the martyr, I expect to, to pick up the shards of a ruined society and help rebuild civilization as the church has often done throughout history. Yes, there's going to be pressure. If it comes to that, maybe my successor will be martyred, but God's not given up on the world, and God's going to send somebody to rebuild civilization. But we want to pray. We want to pray for this upcoming generation. We don't know exactly the pressures they're going to face, but we want to pray 
that they would not be ashamed. Just as Paul the Apostle is calling Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's the final thing that I think we should hope for and pray for for our children and our grandchildren and the children of this parish. That they would know the hope of the gospel and that this hope would be just so deep within them. It would be the identity that shaped them so that they could go through whatever suffering they face in life with the sense of this hope that would animate them and energize them until the very last day of their life. We want children who are shaped, their identity is shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul mentions several elements or benefits or riches of the gospel of Jesus in this passage of scripture. Verse 9, for example, he says that God, the power of God has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages begin. Paul's saying, Timothy, we are saved not based on what we do, not based on our performance, but on the grace and goodness of God, which has been reaching out to us from all eternity. That's your identity. And we need children who are growing up in this world. It's such a competitive culture. It's such a performance-based culture. It's a social media culture that your, your standing is wor- and worth is based on how many people like your picture and how many people are following your tweets. That's the pressure that these young kids are following. It's all based on what they look like and how they perform. We need children who know that, no, my identity is that I am beloved by God, not based on what I've done or what other people think of me, but based on his love, which has been demonstrated on the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is a love that was set on me from eternity. That's my identity. And and we want them to have that hope. They can carry that hope with them throughout life, even in the midst of suffering. Paul, again, who's facing the end of his life. Look at what he says in verse 10. Here's the hope of the gospel, which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to this, friends, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He says, that's why I'm suffering. I'm not ashamed of this Jesus, this Jesus who's done something that No one else could do. The world cannot give this hope that death will be abolished and bringing life and immortality to life. It only happens through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the hope that Paul had in the midst of his suffering. And he says in verse 12, this is why I suffer as I do. I'm not ashamed. I know whom I've believed. I know Jesus. I know whom I've believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard Until that day, he's looking forward to the last day, that which has been entrusted to me. I'm going to my eternal reward, the Apostle Paul is saying. It's laid up for me on that day. I know whom I believed, and he's dying with that hope. And so that's what we pray for our children, that that hope of the gospel would so shape their heart and their soul and their identity that they go through whatever life throws them clinging to Jesus Christ and the hope that he gives. And so, friends, I invite you to use this this week, this section of Scripture as a prayer for your children, for your grandchildren, for your nieces and nephews, 
or any child that you're in relationship with for the children of this parish. Use this passage as a springboard to pray. Will you do that? That these children would have a sincere faith. That these children would understand their calling and mission in life. That they would stand for the truth of Jesus Christ in their generation. Not be ashamed. That their identity would be shaped by the hope of the gospel. What a privilege that we have to pass on our faith to the next generation. Do you know this ancient proverb? From, it's, from, it's from the uh, ancient East. If you're a teacher, you've probably come across it. But the proverb goes like this. If your plan is for one year, plant rice. If your plan is for 10 years, plant trees. If your plan is for 100 years, educate children. We are called to raise these children up in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That will make a difference 100 years from now. That will make a difference for eternity. Let's pray. Lord, help us to pray. Help us to pray for these children that have been entrusted to our care. The children of the Church of the Resurrection. Little Hadley, who was baptized just today at the 9 a.m. service, and her parents, Kim and Phil, let's lift them up in prayer this week. And the other children who are listed in our, in our directory and the membership lists, God, help us to be intentional about remembering these families and also about living our faith in our families, modeling the faith, teaching the faith, praying for our children and grandchildren. What a call that you have placed on our life. We thank you for the privilege of serving you and serving the next generation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.